1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. It's good to see everyone out this morning. I appreciate all the songs that we were led in uh, so far. I think that they are uh, perfect uh, to, especially when you think about the lyrics of these songs, they're, they're perfect ways to start uh, be, as we begin to talk about this lesson. And I think they're perfect because when you think about the example of Jesus, when you think about our relationship with God, I think that should affect how our character uh, is. In 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 16, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 16, it says, We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. Now, John talks a lot about love, I think, not just in this epistle, but also in the Gospel of John. But as you look at these verses here, what does it mean to abide? We've talked about this before. But essentially what that word means is essentially to live in something. It is your life. Um, it, it is that notion of faithfulness. It's not something that wavers. It's not something that, well, every now and then I'm going to pick it up and then I'll put it back down. No, it is faithful to the end. It is continual. And so the idea is faithfulness. Christians are expected to be faithful in their love, have a kind of abiding love, a love that they live in. Not just something they put aside and then pick back up, but it is constant. Now, as we think about this, uh, the, this word, as we think about love in the life of a Christian, I just want to make a couple points today, this morning, and to see what does this look like in the life of a Christian? How is this supposed to affect us? How is this supposed to mold us? And so just a couple of points to make, and then we'll end with some application. But the first point is that this is the mark of Christianity. It's the mark of a Christian, this kind of faithful love. First of all, uh, in, in Matthew chapter 22, Matthew chapter 22, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 22, in verse 36 of Matthew chapter 22, there is a lawyer who comes and asks Jesus a question, and he says, what are the greatest commandments of the law? In verse 37, Jesus answers, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Now, I would just suggest that as Jesus talks about the greatest commandments, just the fact that they can be called the greatest commandments implies much. It implies the strength of the word that, that is spoken here. But also, what you find from the very beginning is that this is clearly the mark of discipleship. It's the mark of being a Christian. Both, though, must be in the heart of a Christian. They both must be there, not just one or the other, but they both have to go uh, into the heart. And I would just say, if, if on <laughs> these two commandments hung the whole law and the whole prophets, how much more hangs on this now? Because this is what the Jews should have understood from the get-go. And Jesus even said, yes, it is. And now that we have Christ in the full revelation of God, it means that much more. It means it needs to be that much more a part of our lives. And we don't have the, the same excuse as the Jews in that day to say, well, I, how am I supposed to know? No, Jesus even makes it clear from the beginning. 
So both of these are important. Now, first, you start with this love for God. And I would just ask, when you think about that love for God overall, the question we have to ask is, do you truly love God overall? And we even kind of sung about that a little bit just a few moments ago. God overall and blessed eternally. Do we mean that when we sing those words? I would just suggest if you sing those words and you're not thinking about it, you don't mean it, what you're doing is singing with lying lips. Is God truly overall in our lives? Over in John chapter 14. John chapter 14. <clears throat> John chapter 14 in verse 15. I think when we think about this notion of loving God overall, you can see this. If someone isn't loving God, you can see it pretty easily. In verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You skip down to verse 21, he says, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Now, and again, John talks a lot about love. He uses this word quite a bit, specifically when speaking about the love of God and it, the effect it should have on our lives as his people, as disciples, as Christians. He even talks a lot about that word abiding in. Now, you know, sometimes people would, would, would uh, as we're talking to them in, in a study or trying to evangelize to someone, they would say, well, you, just, you can't know the heart. You can't know someone's heart. You can't know someone's mind. And you know what? Granted, that is true. We can't, like God, see into the hearts and minds of men. But I will say, you can definitely see if love for God is there by their action or their inaction. When, when God has spoken a decree, when he has spoken a command, when he makes his will known freely, and accessibly. If someone sees that, hears that, reads that, and says, I don't really care, I don't really want to do that, I just want to put that aside, that's not faithful love. You can't, you can't look at what God says and say, I don't want it, and say you love him. So you, maybe someone, someone starts skipping services, and, and maybe there's some reasons behind that. Maybe someone is skipping services because the church hurt me. <laughs> well, first of all, you're not the first, and you won't be the last. And really, if all it took was for someone to hurt your feelings, you never love God in the first place. Because you're allowing some fickle, superficial thing affect your relationship with Him? You know, you go beyond that. Maybe someone just says they're, they're, they're skipping services, not because you know, of, of you know, pride that has been slighted, but maybe they're just thinking, well, I'm having family from out of town come in, and, and I really want to be with them this Sunday, and so I'm just not going to be at services. Well, maybe that's not as, um, as intense of an emotion as what we were just talking about a moment ago. But I would just say, if you're willing to skip services just for that reason, can you say you have a faithful love for God, an abiding love for God? I don't think so. So if, if we put anything in front of him, that is proof. That is all the evidence you need to show I don't have the love that I am supposed to in the greatest commandment as it speaks. Loving God overall. And so if there is something we're putting in front of him, that's an idol and it needs to be destroyed. It needs to be cut out. Well, that's followed by, as, as you saw in the Matthew chapter 22, a love for God's people. Just a, a chapter before John 14. In John 13, we looked at Jesus um, being a servant a, a few weeks ago and how he washes the disciples' feet in this chapter. In chapter 13, in verse 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, 
all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This really is that notion of, this is the badge of discipleship. You want people to see, how are people supposed to know that you are a Christian? How can people know that you're a part of the family of God? Do you love your brethren? Now, we look at this, these greatest commandments, and we say, that's very simple. Is it, though? Because even though, even though it's very clear, it's easy to understand, it's not so easy sometimes to actually implement that in our lives. It's not as easy to show it often. As we were just talking about loving God overall, is there something we're putting before him? Are we showing in this instance that we love our brethren? Are we being that kind of example? When people come into this, this group here, when people come into Lakeside, if they're visitors, they're on vacation, whatever, when they come into Lakeside, do they see a church made up of cliques? You know, there's a click over here, there's a click over there, and, and really what you see is there's just no, there, it's just exclusiveness everywhere. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't going to be people that we're closer to. That's, that's not a problem. Even, you even kind of see that within the disciples of Jesus, with James and John and Peter. But a clique is something different, where you just won't allow anybody else to enter that group. You won't allow anybody else. You're not trying to bring anybody else in. What is, this, what is the church, what is the family of God supposed to be? A group of people that are trying to get closer together, period. No matter who you are, no matter where you sit in the building. So when people walk into this building, do they see a group made up of cliques? Or when they walk into this building, do they see a group that's, that's present but can't stand the sight of one another? Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2 that you need to tolerate one another, essentially. I think sometimes we're left to that because it's not always easy in a family. There were several times where I could not stand the sight of my siblings growing up. But you know what? When I acted out on them, when I freaked out on them, lashed out on them, you know what my dad always said? You need to tolerate that. But they did this to me. That does not mean you get to react however you want. And we're even going to talk about that later tonight. But do they see a group that tolerates one another, even in the moments that are difficult, or do they see a group that cannot bear to be around one another? That's a problem. That means we do not have that faithful love that we're supposed to. What about someone who, who they walk into this building do they see a group of brothers and sisters, kind of like we were just talking about a moment ago, who maybe there's an insult that's said about them and they retaliate immediately. There's, just, there's, no, there's a hair trigger. Just immediately they, wanna, they just want to blow the person out of the water. Is that faithful love? Well, if you're looking at Jesus, his example, no. No, it's not. Jesus bore a lot. He tolerated a lot. He put up with a lot. And he never lashed out. Uh, you know, his emotions and put them out for, on, on his disciples, those who, he, was, who he, he loved and those who he was being an example towards. And so we need to ask those questions. Do we have this faithful love or do we not? Because it is the badge of discipleship. It is the mark of a Christian. Well, secondly, not only is it the mark of a Christian, but it is the make of a Christian. And what do I mean by that? It is the life. It's the blood. It's, it's the sustenance of a Christian. First of all, Back in 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, in verse 9, again, John talks about this so much, but just a couple of verses here. Beginning in verse 9, it says, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might love through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. 
Now, in verse 19, skipping down to verse 19, it says, we love because he first loved us. And so from the very beginning, what you have is a, a very a very real concept that it really is love that sustained us. It is love that gave us life in the first place. Because if God had not sent his only begotten son, that whoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life, we would not have been, we would not have been able to attain salvation. We'd be lost. We'd stay lost. We would perish. We'd have no hope. And so from the very beginning, what you see is love is what saves us. It is our salvation, the love of God. Now, we need to internalize that and, and go even further over in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I think when you get into deeper applications, not only is it something that, that sustains us from the beginning, but it's something that sustains us through our lives. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6, Peter talks a lot about suffering. And here is one instance. He says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. <laughs> I think what you see here is a love for God is the only thing that can even just get us through life's adversities, life's difficulties. You don't go through much pain for something you don't love. If you don't love something, you're just like, I'm just going to cut my losses. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of talk about, you know, student debt in, in our country, and sometimes people have, have talked about that, and they, you know, I even heard arguments, you know, within that conversation, people saying, well, you know, you, you take on, you take on the, the debt of your spouse when you marry them, and you may even have two individuals that have student debt behind them, and you marry them, you're taking that on, you're accepting that, and you're saying you're going to pay for that person, and it's like, I mean, to a degree, yes, but let me just tell you something. If Paige did not marry me, I wasn't going to pay for the student debt. Like, that was a condition. I mean, I'm only going to pay for that if you marry me. Now, that's not the only reason we got married. That's not the only reason she married me, or at least she hasn't said that. But you don't, I'm not going to take anybody else's debt because I don't love them like that. I love her enough, and I'm willing to take the debt because I wanted to, to, be, to marry her. I wanted to enter that kind of relationship. And so it is love that will sustain us even when we're paying that debt, even when the cost enters the scene. We are only willing to take a lot of pain and discomfort for those that we love. Now, you go past that. Love really does sustain us. Therefore, without love, we will steadily die out if we haven't already. And especially I'm talking about spiritually here. Again, in 1 John, going back to 1 John, just a verse prior, in verse 8 of what we read, it says, The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And so someone wants to say, well, I am a Christian. Well, do you lack love? How can you know God if you don't have love? Down in verse 20, again, right after what we just read, If someone says, I love God, that hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And so John makes it very clear. This just this doesn't this doesn't jive. You can't say that you know God if you do not love, whether that be him or the brethren. And you even see this indicated, I think, in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, 
after you have all this discussion of, you know, there's one church, one Lord, one baptism, uh, one spirit, all of these things that were to be united in this. At the very end, in verse 16, it's interesting what he says. He says, from whom, as, as he's speaking about Christ being the head of the church, that body, he says, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And so even throughout the scriptures, what you find is that consistent theme that love is what builds up the body. It's what tolerates, uh, as you see in Ephesians 4 and verse 2. It's what puts up with. And so I would just suggest if, if it's love that builds up the body, the lack thereof will tear it down. And it will die and fade and wane. And so we need to be so very careful and we need to be honest about whether or not we really have the love that we're supposed to. Without it, we will die out. And without it, I would say that even the good actions that we do are worthless. Even when we are striving to maybe even obey God in some areas. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in verse 1, Paul says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. This is Paul talking about himself. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. What I, I'm having a hard time understanding. What do you think the, the case that Paul is making here is? Without love... Even those good things, even those beautiful things, things like the spiritual gifts, like the prophecies, they mean nothing. And I go through all that just to say, we can't trick God into thinking, well, if I do a couple actions, if I do a few good things, well, then that means I actually have the love. That's not going to trick God. And I will just say, I think a lot of times that doesn't trick anybody else. Generally, people can tell when there's sincere love being shown or if it's just, well, I was around, so I'll, I'll, I'll maybe help you. You think about how discipline works. Discipline without love ultimately means nothing. In fact, it tends to make things worse. I remember talking to my brother-in-law uh, quite a while ago, and he was just talking to me about, you know, we were talking about how him and my sister were going to be having a child soon, and he was hearkening back to a memory he had with his dad, and he, we were just talking about how to discipline, and he said, you know, I, I still think back at those moments with tears in my eyes, not because of the pain that he experienced, but because of the sorrow that his father had. What I thought was beautiful was that this man did not enjoy the discipline. He didn't want to discipline his child, but he did it regardless. And his child knew why, because he needed to be, he needed to be better. He had made a mistake. He needed to pay for it. And, and I, I, I love that because what you see is when there's love integrated with that, it produces the right kind of attitude. But you have a child that is disciplined without love. You have a father that just wants to beat on his child. And, and, and you know, it, it almost seems like he's taking pleasure in disciplining the child. This just only breeds further hatred, further rebellion, whereas love could convince change. And so it's important that we, that we have the love that, we are, that God says we're supposed to have. And so I, I, I would just say, again, don't think that doing a good thing will satisfy the command for love you know someone could say at least i did what god wanted me to but they have no love i tell you what that sounds a lot like balaam 
who merely complied, but ultimately he died. He died with the enemies of God because he did not want to obey him. He did not want what God commanded. And so he did perish in the same rebellion. So we need to have a faithful love for God and for our brethren, and we need to make sure that it truly is a part of our lives, and it's what makes up our actions. Now, finally, I just want to look at how, how do we develop that kind of love when, honestly, it's just not there? Because, again, just being frank, a lot of times, maybe, maybe not a lot of times, but, you know, overall, there will be moments where you just struggle with having the proper love. And there's going to be moments where you can tell that another brother or another sister, they're really struggling with having the proper love. And so I, we need to ask, how do we develop that when it's not there? We know that we must love. How do we grow? First of all, I would say well, maybe one of the main things is think of it in terms of something that you owe. Over in Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 8. Romans 13 and verse 8. Paul says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he, and he even continues to talk about what love looks like. But just from the very beginning, he says, owe nothing to anyone, but you do owe love. That's how we need to view this. A lot of times, I think if we just changed our mindset and thought, I do have a debt. I do have something that needs to be paid. I owe this to my brethren. I owe this to God. But especially if we love God, we're going to start thinking in those terms. I want to make sure that I, that I fulfill this. And genuinely, sincerely, not just trying to act like it, not just making a spectacle of ourselves. I know that this is hard. But one of the first steps, I think, is doing this exactly. Act like, because it is, something you owe. Because God has shown it to us when we did not deserve it. Am I brave enough to say that others don't deserve it from me? That's a bold statement, especially when you look at where you were before God, before you were cleansed. So we need to think about it in those terms. We also need to think about it, I would say, in terms of an exercise. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul talks about this. He, he speaks of it in saying this labor of love. Again, I think sometimes, as we've already indicated, it, it, it is hard to do this. And so we need to view it as a labor. We need to view it as an exercise. And you know what? When you start exercising, you don't always see the benefit in the moment. Sometimes it well, a lot of times it hurts. It's painful. And you're just, it's sometimes when you're in the middle of that pain, you're just like, why am I even doing this? Well, there's a reason, because you know it's going to pay off. Maybe you don't see it now. Maybe it hurts right now, but it will pay off. And let me just say, it may not be, the payoff may not be on this earth even, because it may not be reciprocated. The other person may not respond the way they should. But what's the payoff then? I, I have loved like Jesus. I have loved when I have not received the same response, the same uh, godly characteristic. And so think about it in those terms. Exercise in it. Make this truly a labor. Make it your responsibility, not everybody else's. Stop focusing on everybody else. Focus on your own life. Focus on your own habits. That's the only way that you're going to cultivate the change that you need. 
is when we stop focusing on everyone else and focus on our own issues. Well, uh, as you think about this and exercising in it, we need to look for ways to show it. Find ways that we can show it more. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24 that, that passage where we go to when it talks about not forsaking the assembly, one of the reasons is because we're supposed to be focusing on stimulating one another to love and good works. Now, first of all, how many of us, you know, don't raise your hand or anything, but in your own mind think, am I trying to stimulate the person over there or over here? Am I trying to stimulate these people to love and good works? Now, maybe you're saying yes or maybe you're saying no. The next question is How? How am I doing this? Maybe the, maybe the first step is consider. Think about how you can do this. Find, you know, cool ways to try and include your brethren. Find good ways that, that, that will make your brethren feel that godly love. Think about it. I know that it's hard sometimes to try and to think deeply about things. But we need to ask ourselves this question, how can I stimulate my brethren? How can I stimulate my brother or my sister to love and good works? The first thing is you show them that love. And so consider it. Think about how we can do this. And finally, I would just say we need to look through the lens of Christ. If you really want to do anything about this, if you want to grow in love, you start looking at your brethren the way Christ views them. And how did he view them? Now compare that to how you view them. And it doesn't matter who. It can be the, the one that is maybe a part of that clique. It can be the one that is easier to love. It may be the one that has betrayed you. That has spoken slanderously about your name. Does, does that mean that because they did that, you don't, get to, you don't have to show them that love? Again, what did, what did Christ show us? What did he say on the cross? Forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they do. That, that's love. Even the love that Stephen showed, following after Christ, when those people, those very people, were putting him to death. And I don't, I don't think that either of them thought that saying these words was going to make those people rethink. They had already made their decision. You're going to die. And even with that, you're going to show love. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. I think that will cultivate love, but it only happens when you look at it through the lens of God, that these are fellow creations in Christ's image, in God's image. <clears throat> now, as we close this morning, with that staying in our minds, maybe you're a Christian. If you've been struggling with this love, again, look through the lens of Christ. Remember how he viewed you before you were cleansed by his blood, when you did not deserve it. Sure, there's going to be moments where others don't deserve it, but you certainly didn't. And so do we want to emulate Christ or are we going to just throw that example away? Can you grow in his love? God says you can. Are you willing to? Are you willing to put some habits, some new habits into effect to try and change that mindset, that attitude? Maybe you're not a Christian. I'll just say, again, remember where we started in 1 John. Yes, we see passages like John chapter 3 and verse 16 that God so loved the world to give his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But, but, but let me just say, that has passed. Jesus has given himself, and now it's time for the belief. It's time for that faithful love that we started with in 1 John. And as he says, you can't have that relationship with God if you don't have this abiding love. What does that mean to believe? It means faithfulness. It doesn't just mean, oh, I believe God exists. It means I'm going to be faithful like a husband is faithful to a wife. 
I'm going to be faithful like a wife is faithful to a husband. That's what that means. So are you willing to do that? The first step is starting that relationship this morning. If you want to grow in this love, you want to abide in this love that God says he wants for you. You can have that this morning. Are you willing to obey him in every respect? Are you willing to come forward? Repent of your sins, confess that he is the son of the living God, and be baptized into his death to walk in newness of life. If you are willing to do that, you can make your life right with God this morning. If you're subject to the invitation of Christ, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.